You know, if you've ever uh, been hooked on a well-written television series, they always make it to where you can't wait until you see next week's uh, uh, episode, right? TV producers understand that the best way to get someone to tune in next week is by ending the show with a cliffhanging situation. And then you think to yourself, I can't believe I gotta wait till next Thursday to find out what's going on. Well, if you were with us last week, we began a new series from the, the book of Jonah. And if you will remember, we ended this series in somewhat of a cliffhanger. Jonah, this popular prophet of God, was sent to preach God's message to the Assyrians who were located in Nineveh. But due to his personal hatred of these people, instead, Jonah bought a ticket on a ship bound for Tarshish. Tarshish was a Spanish uh, fishing village so far away that the journey would have taken him 18 months to get there. But no sooner than the vessel had gotten out of, of the harbor is when God threw a storm their way and things got so bad that they thought the ship was going to sink. And this forced Jonah to admit to the sailors that it was he who was the reason for this perfect storm, which was obviously supernatural in its origin. Well, at Jonah's request, the sailors of the ship reluctantly threw him overboard and the storm immediately stopped. And it is here where we last left our hero Jonah, sinking down deeper and deeper and deeper into the cold, dark depths of the Mediterranean Sea. And I'm sure, I am certain that you have been on the edge of your seat waiting to come here this morning, <laughs> right? You said last Sunday, why do I have to wait till next Sunday to hear what's next? Well, I'm glad you chose to tune in this week's episode because we're gonna pick up where we left off. If you turn to Jonah chapter one, we are going to read uh, Jonah chapter one, verse 17 through Jonah two, verse 10. I know people say, I never give you time to look it up in your Bible. So let's give a 10 second pause. That's not enough time. Jonah chapter one, starting at verse 17, going through Jonah chapter two, verse 10. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. 
So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It's a pleasant thought this morning, isn't it? Before we go any further, you need to understand that the Jewish people were not a seafaring kind of people. They were desert nomads. In fact, they were afraid of the ocean. They referred to the sea as an abyss and they they saw it as a symbol of death, a symbol of chaos. And for them, death by drowning was the worst way that a person could, could die. And in this second chapter, Jonah now describes to us the terror the intense anxiety of being helpless against the ocean currents that were swirling all around him. With the waves crashing upon him, pushing him deeper and deeper and deeper into the depths of the sea. And in his description of his downward descent, Jonah tells us that the water was closing in on him, that there was no way back to the surface. In verse five, he speaks of the horror of having water surrounding him. It says, even to my soul, with seaweed and stuff tangled all around his head and neck. And and, and finally, Jonah actually hits the bottom. Now, we don't know how deep the ocean was there, but just imagine the fear of feeling your feet hitting the bottom and knowing that you're never going to go back up to the surface. Your lungs are about to explode and the cold darkness of the ocean is surrounding you and your body lands on the ocean floor. Well, at the last minute, just before he was about to lose consciousness and drown, stubborn old Jonah finally decided to ask for God's help. And I'm sure that his prayer initially was nothing fancy at all. Probably three short words. Lord, help me. You ever been there? Yeah, I think we all have been. Well, as we just read a few moments ago, God answered that prayer. And apparently he has this fish or this whale on standby. And when Jonah prayed and cried out to God, he ordered this creature to rescue him in just the nick of time. This fish swallowed Jonah whole and ingested him into a place where there was a pocket of air. And it is at this specific moment that we are confronted with one of God's most unusual miracles. And truthfully, in all of scripture, there isn't one miracle that is more easily disbelieved than this one. You see, there are a lot of cynics out there in the world. Have you ever met any of them? There's even a lot of Christian cynics who dissect the word of God. And I'm going, you can't be a Christian if you dissect the word of God the way that you're reading it. But they explain this miracle away by saying that Jonah simply had a dream while he was on, the, on that ship to Tarshish during the storm. And they believe that the book of Jonah is nothing but an account of the dream that he had. Others relate the book of Jonah to the Phoenician myth of Hercules and a sea monster. Another group say that although Jonah was a real person and he did in fact get on a ship to Tarshish, the storm wrecked the ship. But after the storm and the shipwreck were over, Jonah was picked up by another ship on which there was a big fish as its figurehead. And they say this is why Jonah described himself as being inside of a great fish. 
One other theory says that there was a huge dead fish floating in the sea that day, and Jonah took refuge inside the carcass of that great fish during the storm. Now, the reason that I share these speculations with you is to show you what lengths that people will go to in order to explain away this miracle of God. My favorite story that I ever heard about all of this speculation is one that I heard about a little girl who believed what the Bible said, like me, what the Bible said about Jonah. She was at school one day and they were studying these large mammals, whales, called whales, when she asked her teacher a question. She said, Mr. Smith, can a whale really swallow a human being? He answered, well, it is physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human. Even though it is a large mammal, it has a very small throat. So the little girl said to him, but in the Bible, it says that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Mr. Smith replied, well, the Bible must have been mistaken. It's just impossible for a human being to be swallowed by a whale. Clearly frustrated with his answer, the little girl said, fine. When I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah what happened. <laughs> and in response, Mr. Smith sarcastically answered, and what if Jonah went to hell? And she said, well, then you can ask him. guys love those jokes that rip the world, don't you? Anytime we can get one up on the world and their stupidity, you just, yeah. Oh. Am I right? This girl believed exactly what the Bible said. And I do too. I, I think the Bible is literal. I don't believe it's fairy tales. I don't believe it, it's, it's dreams. I believe if the Bible says it, it is so. But seriously, I think all of the hubbub about, about this prophet-eating fish is, is very odd for two reasons. First of all, there's a great deal of evidence to prove that this is, in fact, possible for a fish or for a whale to swallow a man whole. And not just swallow a man, but that that person could stay alive for several days inside the fish's body. There are several species of fish or whales that can do this. For example, the whale shark does not have teeth. It, it feeds by opening its enormous mouth. It submerges its lower jaw and it rushes through the water at terrific speed. And after straining the water out, it swallows whatever else is left. It goes into its stomach. They say that the mouth of those big, those big sharks are 10 to 12 feet wide, which is plenty big enough for a prophet sized man to, to, to go get into. And this, this sea creature also has four to six compartments within its stomach, any one of which is large enough to house a grown man. It even has a air storage chamber near its sinus area that they say is approximately seven feet wide and about 14 feet deep. These are huge fish. There are documented stories of this kind of thing happening, stories of whalers and fishermen being swallowed whole by whales like this and then discovered alive inside their stomachs days later. So this really isn't that big of a miracle, 
when you think about it. In fact, it's very believable that God could do this, which is why to me it is strange that so many people would have such a hard time swallowing this part of the Bible. Another reason for this is many people, many people doubting that this happened to Jonah is because the Bible is literally filled with miracle after miracle. It begins by telling us that God created this earth and this entire universe from nothing. And within its pages is an account of a man named Enoch who never died. Reading on a little further, we, we come to the story of a widow whose small flask of oil was, was multiplied and filled up numerous large pots. There's another story of the head of an ax floating in water at the command of God's prophet. The Bible also tells us of a widow's son who died, was about to be buried, and who was raised from the dead. And all of those, and a bunch more I didn't even mention, are found in the Old Testament. But then the miracles continue on into the New Testament. There we are confronted with the blind being made to see, with the lame being able to walk, with lepers being cleansed, and more people being raised from the dead. One, Lazarus had even been dead in the tomb for four entire days before being brought back to life. The Bible is indeed a book of miracles. But the miracle most quickly scorned happens to be this one in this little children's story that we talked about last week of Jonah and the whale. Why is this so? Well, actually, it's, it's very simple. I mentioned this last week, the three days and the three nights that Jonah spent in the belly of that great fish are compared in the scriptures to the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you'll remember in Matthew chapter two, the, the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus if he would show them a sign of his power. And here's how he responded in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39 through 41. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. This is Jesus talking. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. So it makes complete sense to me that the reason uh, for such a great attack upon this small book of Jonah is because his experience is representative of that of Jesus. So if you attack this miracle, you also attack the miracle of Jesus' resurrection. Put the pieces of the puzzle together. It's sort of a two for one. The devil will go to any length possible to destroy the credibility of the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice in verse 17, there's a word used there in my translation, the New King James, it says prepared. It says that God prepared a great fish. And I want you to notice, it does not say that God created a great fish. The word that is translated here literally means it was assigned or it was ordained or it was appointed to this task. This is a word that is used four times in, in the book of Jonah. And it always points to the Lord's power to accomplish his will. 
And this is one of the most wonderful truths that we can glean from Jonah's experience. Because it's important for us to realize that, that God doesn't sit up in heaven remotely disinterested in our affairs. Nothing could be further from the truth. He watches us every moment of our lives. And when necessary, he intervenes miraculously, just like he did with Jonah. And this is my first point in today's message. God performs miracles to show us his power and to save us. Earlier, God controlled the weather. He also controlled the lots that the sailors drew that fell upon Jonah. And now he controls this great sea creature. And later on in this story, God will control a plant. He will control a worm and he will control the desert wind. But what I also want you to understand is there is always a saving purpose in all of God's miraculous interventions in Jonah's life. As the omniscient God of the universe, he broke into his ordered creation and he literally moved heaven and earth in order to save this prodigal prophet as well as others. And as our study will show through Jonah's preaching, God is going to save Nineveh. And then through Jonah's writing of this account, he will save many of the Jewish people from their narrow, self-righteous sense of religious superiority. He used Jonah's experience to help the Jewish people to understand that he is the savior of the entire world and not just the Jewish people. And so God also performs all of these miracles in Jonah's life for our benefit. He did so so that we can understand our relationship with him more fully. So one of the things that Jonah teaches is this amazing truth that, that God does intervene in our lives. And he does miracles. But he does them always for a purpose. And this leads me to the second thing that, that we can learn at this point in our study. God's miracles also help us to see the stupidity of our actions. I'm gonna say that again because this is so true. God's miracles help us see the stupidity of our actions. Anybody else besides me ever been stupid? <laughs> Done something really stupid out of God's will? Because like a bucket of cold water being splashed in your face, these tough times help us to come to our senses which is literally what happened here to old Jonah. Here's the deal. God loves us too much to let us go out and do foolish things that will bring pain, not just into our lives, but into the lives of our loved ones. Max Licato wrote, God loves us as we are, but too much to let us stay that way. I love that. This is why he intervened in Jonah's life. It was out of love. God could have chosen another prophet. He could have said, good riddance, you pious prodigal. But he loved Jonah too much to let him get away with his sinful rebellion. So he threw a storm at that ship. And he worked things out so that Jonah would be thrown into the sea. He would sink to the bottom and he would panic. And he would humble himself to the point that he would finally as a last ditch effort, cry out to God in prayer. 
And through his prayer and through the time that he spent in the inside of that fish, he would have had an opportunity to realize how wrong he had been. And this is my third point. Sometimes the only thing that brings us to our knees in prayer are the storms of crisis. We try to avoid crisis all the time. Nobody likes crisis situations. But the simple truth is sometimes crisis comes to straighten us out, to to rattle our cage, to open our eyes to, to our blindness. When we are pushed to the brink, when our back is up against the wall, when, when things are right down to the wire, when all of the escape routes are, are, are closed off, only then, it seems like, will people go to God for help. And I'm not sure why that is. Prayer should be our first thing and not our last thing. It was Abraham Lincoln who once said, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Speaking of God. Chuck Swindoll wrote a story of a 1968 airliner that was bound for New York City. When it began its descent, the pilot realized that the landing gear had refused to engage. He worked those controls back and forth time and time again, trying to make the gear go down and lock into place, but had absolutely no success. So he reached out to the control tower for instruction while he circled the landing field. And responding to this crisis, the airport personnel sprayed the runway with with foam and fire trucks and emergency vehicles were all there in position and disaster was only just a few minutes away. The passengers, meanwhile, were being told of, of every maneuver that they were to take with a very calm and cheery voice that only pilots can seem to muster up during crazy moments like that. And the flight attendants were even moving through the cabin with an air of of cool reserve. They were telling the passengers to place their heads between their, their knees and to grab their ankles right before impact. It was one of those, I I can't believe this is happening to me kind of moments. Moments that led to many tears and even a few screams within the, the, the fuselage of that plane of despair. Landing was only a few seconds away when suddenly the pilot announced over the intercom, ladies and gentlemen, we are beginning our final descent. At this moment, in accordance with the international aviation codes, it is my obligation to inform you that if you believe in God, you should commence prayer. Well, it just so happened that the belly landing went off without a hitch. Not one person was injured. Although there was extensive damage to the aircraft, the airline hardly hardly remembered the incident. In fact, a relative of one of the passengers called the airline the very next day and asked about the prayer rule that the pilot had quoted. No one at the airline volunteered any information on the subject, only a no comment response was given. Isn't that amazing? The only thing that brought out some secret prayer rule into the open was this crisis. And this fact explains the brokenness of mankind better than anything else. Because it's only when death and disaster are imminent. It's only when everything else has been exhausted. It's only then when people will crack crack open a hint of recognition that God just might be there 
And they then at that point commenced to pray. And this is exactly what Jonah did. When he was totally exhausted and at the end of his rope, when there was no one else to turn, only then did he cry out for God's help. And you know something? When you and I are sinning like Jonah was, that scenario is the best possible place for us to end up. Because until we can get to that place where we have exhausted all of our own personal abilities and all of our own self-sufficiency, until we give up on every logical human resource, most people will not reach out to God. Sometimes I think that the trouble with many of us is that we have just enough ease in our Christian journey and our Christian experience that we never quite get desperate. We never quite get to the place where there is no hope for us except in God. So we ignore him and, and, and we rely instead on ourselves. And when that happens, God often sends storms our way just like he did with Jonah. Storms are literally blessings in disguise, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, even though you don't like to go through them, because they drive us back to a deeper fellowship with our Lord. There was a little boy who was sailing a small model boat on a lake when the wind caught it and it threatened to blow it out beyond his reach. And a bigger boy came along and he started to throw rocks at the boat. The little boy cried out in anger for him to stop. Don't break my boat. But he realized, he noticed that the rocks that were aimed to fall just behind the boat and the little waves that were being made by the rock were actually gradually pushing the boat closer to the shore. Well, in the very same way, many times God throws problems into our lives. These are trials that are designed to bring us back into a right relationship with him. Often like Jonah, we have to be driven to our knees for that to happen. And then finally, the time comes after it's all over and we've survived and we've grown and we've, grown, we've, we've come closer to God. We say words much like are written in the Psalms 119. Verses 67 and 71. 67 says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. And verse 71 says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. And Jonah had a lot to learn for three days inside of that dark, stinky, inside of a fish, he pondered, he had to ponder his situation. He did a lot of soul searching and he eventually saw the foolishness of his sin. He saw his need for God. And then he prayed again. And that prayer makes up most of the second chapter. I like the way that R.T. Kendall put it when he wrote this. Excuse me. <clears throat> the belly of the fish is not a happy place to live, but it is a good place to learn. Up until this point, Jonah had thought all he needed was public success as a prophet and the material rewards and acclaim that comes with it. But in the fish, he realized this was not true. He saw that his greatest need was to be God's faithful prophet. And this shows that prayer, even a prayer that is motivated by crisis, is one of the greatest miracles of the Christian life. 
Because when we communicate with God, we can learn so much. In fact, let's not waste Jonah's crisis this morning. Let's review the things that that Jonah's emergency motivated prayer taught him and still teaches us today. The first one is this. Jonah's prayer shows us that God hears us when we pray. If you look back at verse two, Jonah said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. Sheol, by the way, is a, is a state of death. It is the abode of death. So Jonah believed that he was a goner. And for all intents and purposes, he was. Last week, I told you that this Old Testament book shows us that God speaks to us. But today, it is showing us that God hears us. When Jonah was sinking deep, to the depths of the sea when his life was about to ebb away, he squeezed off one of those quick, God save me prayers. It was a prayer that was born out of affliction and not necessarily out of affection. But God heard even that supplication, which is in line with his promises to us. In Isaiah 65, 24, God says, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Second Chronicles 7, 14, he assures us, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive them of their sin and I will heal their land. In 1 John 5, 14, it says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Think of it. The almighty, omnipotent, holy God waits for us to address him. God is very much like the father who sends his son away to the military, and then he sits by the phone waiting for that phone call from his son. Therefore, it's also true that no matter how far we go away from God, whether it's an 18-month journey to Tarshish, doesn't matter how far we are away from God or how far we run from God, even to the bottom of the sea, it's always only one step back to him. And that's what I want you to remember today. You know, in my time of counseling people, I have come to find out that people aren't necessarily interested in wisdom or guidance. More than anything, they just want someone to listen. They want someone to listen to their story. They just need to know that they're being heard, and truthfully, we're all that way. And Jonah's experience reminds us that that God fills that need for you and I. He always hears whenever we call out to him. In fact, God picks up on the first ring. You don't have to wait. Which leads to the second thing that that Jonah's prayer helped him and us to see, and it is this. There is no place where God is not. No place. You can't go anywhere where God's presence is, is not there. Back to chapter one, verse nine, Jonah had admitted to the sailors that God was the Lord of all the earth. And in the belly of the fish, at the bottom of the ocean, 
he found out just how true a statement that that was. In his prayer, Jonah said that he was in the depth of Sheol, the very heart of the seas. He said, beneath the roots of the mountains. He felt like he was in a place where he was banished from God's sight, from God's ears, from God's presence. But Jonah learned that this was just not true. He found out that God was even with him in that cold, dark place. Perhaps this experience reminded him of David's prayer that was written in Psalm 139, seven through 12. And I love this scripture. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Amen, brother. Here's a truth that you never, ever want to forget. God is always with us, around us, above us, before us, beneath us. In this psalm, David is proclaiming that, 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 God, that God doesn't just have the ability to hear us, but God desires to be near us. Church, the problem is, is not that God is distant and that he needs to be wooed or he needs to be badgered into coming to us. The problem is that God is ever present and God is ever near, but sadly, some of us, like Jonah, we seek ways to escape him. You know, like most churches, our, our service, we begin with a song, but then immediately we have an invocation. It is a prayer that, that we pray to God for him to join us. But that's not really the way that it should be. God is already here. And if you're a born-again Christian, his spirit resides in you. He's already present. So we, and not he, are the ones who need to be invoked. Invocation is for us. And Chris kind of touched on that a little bit this morning. Stay out of my preaching. How did you know that? We need to open our minds. We need to open our, our hearts so that we can realize that he is here with us in his house always. And not just in his house, but in his tabernacle, his temple, which is you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In his book, Your God is Too Safe, Mark Buchanan writes this, we must not just acknowledge that God is present, but rehearse, repeat, work, and rework our knowledge that even though we don't see him and sometimes don't feel him, he is there. But he's just not present here with us in this place. Here's something else that Jonah learned. God is present even in the midst of the dark trials of life. I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but that's our human emotions rising up within us. That is the enemy trying to convince us that God is nowhere to be found in our difficult times. 
Joshua 1.9, God promises, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Psalm 46.1, God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Now, God's presence is something most of us miss because we don't naturally see it always that well. So we need to practice his presence. We must continually train ourselves to walk in continual expectancy, learning to sense that God is always near. You see, God is with us wherever we go. Whether we notice him or not, he is there. That will never change because let's face it, it's really a matter of our vision. It's really a matter of our attentiveness and this takes practice. This is to say that we must talk to him throughout the day. Those little, more than just those little help me prayers. God, I need your wisdom. I need your guidance today. We must study his word regularly because that's how we become more like Christ by living the way he taught us to live. We must do all this so that we get to the point where we become conscious that, that every breath that we take is a gift from God. We become aware that every word that we speak is within his hearing. Every activity we participate is within his view because God is near us. He is right in the middle of our days and our weeks and our months and our years in our rising up and in our lying down. Mark Buchanan also told about the birth of his son when an umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck an emergency C-section was required. After the crisis, he described it in this way. He said, I saw the doctor deftly untangle the umbilical cord that was wrapped tightly around his neck. I listened for his cry. Silence, terrible, vast silence. But then a sputtering and then a wailing and then color suffused his flesh. I should have been a wreck. I was, I think, the calmest person in the room. God had come to be with me. Actually, no, I had come to be with him. God is near, ladies and gentlemen, and Jonah or anyone who has ever cried out his name, whether it be an affliction or affection, has discovered this to be true. Here's another thing that Jonah's prayer taught him and teaches us today. Prayer shows us our real self. Jonah's prayer opened his eyes to the folly of his actions. He saw his idolatry. In verse eight, when Jonah talked about God, to, talked to God about people clinging to worthless idols, he was talking about himself. You see, Jonah had put himself in God's place. God had told him that he had a job for him to do, but Jonah said, I'm not the man for the job. You've asked the wrong man. God told him he wanted to go east to Nineveh, and Jonah decided to go west to Tarshish. God told him to go by land. Jonah chose to go by sea. Everything God said to do, Jonah did just the complete opposite. Jonah made himself his own God. And he tried to superimpose his will upon the will of God. 
He was determined to direct his own life and govern his own actions. And we do the same thing, ladies and gentlemen. We superimpose our will on God every single day. We put ourselves, our loved ones, our possessions, or whatever in place of God. But those counterfeits, folks, they will always fail us, and they will leave us frustrated, and they will leave us defeated. Because when we put ourselves in God's place, we run headlong into our insufficiency and our inadequacy. If, and if we are wise... When this happens, we will turn back to God. We cry out to him in prayer. And then we see the error of our ways. We see ourselves from God's perspective. And like Jonah, we return to making him Lord. This is one of prayer's greatest benefits. Frederick Robinson wrote this, all prayer is to change the human will into submission to the divine will. Practically then, I say pray as Jesus did until prayer makes you cease praying. Pray until prayer makes you forget your own wish and leave it or merge it in God's will. Well, after this three-day sinking into the deep, being swallowed by this great fish and a sincere prayer of crying out to God, it appears now that Jonah is finally prepared to fulfill his job that God has given him. And this is the moment that the fish vomits Jonah back up on the beach at Joppa. We've all been sick before. We've all vomited. As you know, it's a disgusting experience. Imagine being puked up onto a beach quite a way to deliver a distinguished prophet of God to his destination. So tune in to next week's episode. <laughs> if you're not here next week, shame on you. <laughs> Scott, will you guys come forward? Help me close this down. You know, there is a real sense in which at the end of every Sunday service, we find ourselves at one of those cliffhanging moments. We've worshiped God, we have enjoyed his presence, we have studied his word, and now we all wait to see how this special time together will end. Because our time here, in my opinion, is not over. It is never complete until we respond in some way. I've never understood preachers who get up and, and, and bring a sermon and then they say thank you and they close their, their notes and they say the service is over. I think there has to be a way for you to take your feelings and to do something with your feelings. And when I say feelings, I'm talking about what are you going to do with the things that the Holy Spirit has impressed upon your mind and your heart and your spirit as I've been talking for the last 35 minutes or so. The truth is when we come to this time, it's, I'm always on edge with anticipation because I never quite know what's going to happen. I wonder how our worship service will end. I wonder what will happen and I wonder who will respond to what God has taught us this morning. For some of you, this worship service will not be complete until you talk to God.
Because there are many things that this message has brought up in all of us that we need to talk to God about. Last week, we talked about how we've all chosen to be disobedient to God in one way or another. How that we've all taken the proverbial ship to Tarshish to, do, to avoid doing something that God has asked us to do that we haven't wanted to do. But what came through loud and clear to me personally this week is how much love and how much grace God has for each one of us. What I mean is that it is good to recognize times, certainly, that we have been disobedient to God and when we fled from him, but it's even more important that we move past that and get back into covenant with God once again. And I think this is where many people struggle. Yes, we believe that God is there and he wants to restore us, he wants to comfort us, but many times we feel unworthy of that restoration. Something about the human condition leads us to believe that we've got to do something other than to cry out to God. And, and, and it's no different than our salvation. It does nothing on your part other than to be obedient and say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Same thing when you mess up, when you're disobedient to God. You don't fear going back, fearing like you've got to do some kind of a ritual. All you've got to do is cry out to God and he restores your relationship with you. Many people think that God is mad at them. He couldn't possibly forgive me for the things that I've done. What I've done is unforgivable. That's because we put our personal limitations on God. When the truth is, he wants to forgive you. He wants to restore you back to the right, into a right relationship with him. Sadly, many people feel like when they mess up, it's game over. When in reality, it's just game beginning. And this story of Jonah, it shows us God's amazing grace in action. And then when Jonah finally comes to his senses, albeit at the very end of his rope, he cries out to God. And what's been made very, very clear today is that God always hears us, no matter what condition we're in. You've got to remember that. He is always alert and attentive to your situation. And I think that there are people here today who think you've gone too far. There are people here today who you think you've crossed lines that even God cannot forgive you or of or save you from. Can I just say to you this morning that if you feel that way, you are buying into the lies of the enemy. He wants to keep you down. He's just pushing you into the ground and letting you know that God cannot forgive you of some of the things that you've done. He will do his best to make you feel unworthy. He will do his best to make you feel like you are used merchandise and you might as well go into the dump heap because you had your shot and you blew it. He will make you feel like all is lost, like there is no forgiveness for you. But as we've seen in Jonah's story this morning, God is gracious. He's more than willing to reposition anyone back into a relationship with him. You see, there is no sin, there is no disobedience, there is no mistake, no struggle that God cannot rescue you from. You just gotta start believing that you are worthy of his relief. 
Maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you've never offered Jesus Lordship over your life. You've never received the salvation that only he can offer. Today, you can change all that. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I wanna open this altar today like we do most every Sunday that we're here because I never know how God has spoken to an individual. When I greet you out there, I generally on any given Sunday have anywhere from eight to 15 people to tell me that that message was specifically for them and yet each one of them picks out a different part of the message that God spoke to them through. Isn't that amazing? I'm thinking, yeah, it was this moment. No, no, it was this moment early on. That's how God works. He works through his word to challenge us to step up and to make changes that are necessary in our life. I don't know how God has spoken to you, but I believe that every service, the, when we preach the word of God, it demands a response. What kind of response that is generated in you, I don't know. So I trust God to do the work that he needs to do in every one of your lives today. My job is to bring you the word. And then I also believe that my job is to offer you an opportunity to respond to what God has laid on your heart this morning. So this altar is open to anyone who may wanna come and pray and spend some time with the Lord. But when you come, I want to encourage you to come believing that God doesn't just hear you, but he can restore whatever your situation is, whatever it is that you are going through today, whatever challenge you are facing. While this worship team sings, Please come forward, and then we will close this service in prayer after they've had a time to pray at the altar. If you can't come to this altar, I ask you to pray for those who do come. Amazing grace, how sweet that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace, twas grace that taught of my heart and grace my fear relieved. That precious did that grace be the hour I first believed. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. My chains are gone, Whoa. I've been set free, thank you Lord, my Savior, His ransom me.
secures He will my shield and portion me as long as life endures. Yes, Lord, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. at the altar continue to pray I guess the rest of you to stand bow your heads in prayer precious father we thank you for your blessings we thank you for Jesus we thank you that Old Testament children's stories are jam-packed with truth for us to live today we thank you that you are a God that not only hears but you are a God who wants to be near us we thank you that no matter what we are going through in our life, Lord, you are there with us. Even when we can't feel you because of our lack of faith, you are there. My prayer, Lord, throughout this week has been that you would be our first response in all things and not our last ditch effort that our prayers to you would be out of affection and not out of affliction. It would just be naturally what we do, whether being challenged or whether things going great, that we would continually reach out and pray to you, asking you to act on our behalf, guide and directing our lives, help us to be the men and women of God that you truly desire us to be, that we would grow in our knowledge of you, our knowledge of your word, and that we would truly become more like Christ. I thank you that we are reminded by stories of others, people who lived thousands of years ago and yet we talk about them this day. And we see that they were frail human beings just like us. And that brings me comfort, God, knowing that uh, I don't have to be perfect. I just have to be forgiven. And I thank you for your forgiveness and I thank you for your grace 
And I thank you for your Holy Spirit, which guides us and strengthens us and empowers us to do things that we don't think we can do. And even as in the case of Jonah, things we don't want to do. Open our hearts, Lord, to the things you've called us to do. And Father, if we run from you, I pray that we would realize the folly of our way and that we would cry out to you in desperation to come and restore us. Pray if there's anyone in this place today who does not know you and hasn't prayed a prayer of salvation, that they would just pray a simple prayer saying that they believe Jesus is the Son of God. They believe you came and died for their sin and ask you to forgive them of their sin. And Father, you are faithful to make them a new creation. And I thank you for those who have found you this day. So Father, as we go our separate ways today, I just pray that you would go with us. You would guide and direct our steps, conversations that we have, the places that we go, the things that we do, that the conversations that we have would be designed to build people up and not to bring them down. I pray that we would walk around as bright lights in a very dark world. Of course, that brightness is your love that shines through us. I pray that it would be so prevalent that the world would see it and they would come to us and say, what's different about you? And you will open that door for us to share your goodness with them. I ask God that you give each one of us an opportunity to share your goodness with someone this week. And when that door opens, that we would be strong and walk through it knowing you give us the things to say. So Father, as we go our separate way, also keep us safe. Keep us safe from sickness and disease until we can gather together again and worship you in spirit and in truth. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the presence of your spirit. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here.